everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, it's Brian. Uh, we're back for another Real Hawk Talk episode, and we've got a great show tonight. Um, we'll be joined by uh, a former agent, Joel Corey, who is a fantastic resource for all things about personnel, contracts, cap, all sorts of fun stuff. So you can imagine that Evan is super excited. Uh, we're going to control him as best we can until Joel gets here, and, and then we're going to uncage him for a little bit. Uh, we also are really excited. CJ Tumbarello, um, we'll give him a chance to introduce himself in a second, but one of the Hawk Blogger crew who has not been able to join as of yet is uh, on today, and uh, we'll be able to have him uh, be part of the conversation, which is really cool. We've got five members of the Hawk Blogger team on at the same time. I don't know if people can handle this much Hawk Blogger uh, goodness, but it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, quick pieces of business to go through and then we'll get into uh, I'll hand over to Jeff and he'll he'll get us going uh, first please if you haven't already retweet this subscribe click the subscribe link below um, the more people that watch this the more people that engage with this we'll be able to bring you even better guests even more content a lot of great stuff so it's part of creating a great Seahawks community Please subscribe. Please share. Um, let's keep building it. We're already uh, on really good track there. Um, if you haven't already, I highly recommend you check out patreon.com slash hawkblogger, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash hawkblogger. That's how you can join the insider group. We have a private Facebook group where hawkblogger insiders are there. The hawkblogger team's all in there. We're able to talk, um, share some, some you know, rumors and other stuff that's going on. Um, and there's other bonuses. You know, when we have Q and A's, people can come on this show. People get um, uh, invites to all sorts of other pieces, and it's also all goes to supporting what we're trying to do with Ben's Fund and, and some of the charity work that we're doing there. So, great way to to participate and grow the community. Last thing, Pagliacci, one of our big sponsors, who we love, great food. Evan got to chow down last week. We will pick someone else who gets to enjoy that in the future. Um, other than Jeff, Jeff never gets to enjoy it. Um, and they have rolled out a new deal. So, um, if you use the code Hawkblogger either online at pagliacipizza.com or, um, uh, if you call their phone number, which I don't have in front of me, I should, but, uh, it's uh, on their website, um, or in person, even use code Hawkblogger $5 off any whole pie order. So before, you know, it was only a small like pizza that you could get. Now, all whole pies, um, you can get $5 off by using Hawkblogger code. So good stuff. Um, and with that, let's hand it over to Jeff. What's what's on tap? What are we going to talk about tonight, Jeff? 
Well, before we get into the Giants game, which had a ton of compelling storylines, I want to hit on the news of the week. And I don't know if you saw this, but me and Evan were kind of ahead of the curve on this yesterday. Especially Evan was ahead of me even. And he even beat Adam Schefter, which was pretty cool. <laughs> but I would have liked to see him get some attention from national perspective. But, man, the Seahawks signed a, a, a football legend. And we mentioned the Cliff Averill injury a bunch on this show. Brian was the first one who kind of hit that he might be done for the season and maybe for the rest of his career. Seahawks signed Dwight Freeney yesterday. He was a first ballot Hall of Fame type player to fill in for Cliff Averill. And I'm unreasonably excited for this signing. I know he probably doesn't have much left in the tank. He's 37 years old. He's probably going to play, what, 15, 20 snaps a game. Freeney's one of my all-time favorite players. That spin move has been one of the best things for a defensive lineman. So maybe we'll start with Evans since he kind of hit on this first yesterday. What a realistic expectation for Freeney and how excited should Seahawks fans be about this? Yeah, so just my take on this is obviously with Cliff Averill going down, you you don't expect, I think, Dwight Freeney to come in and, and take 100% of the snaps. But I, I do think you can expect him to be put in there rotationally. And, you know, I, I've seen some crazy stats thrown out there that, he seemed like a pretty productive player last year with, with the Falcons, and he, he seems like he plays a large role in, in not just, you know, playing on the field and his production there, but, you know, in his mentorship of other players, young defensive linemen, whether that be Frank Clark, um, Jaron Reed, all those type of types of guys. I, I'm, I'm really stoked that we get another strong veteran presence in the locker room to kind of come alongside some of those younger guys like Naz and uh, – and kind of learn from his ways. So I, I'm super excited about it. I think, he's, like you said, I think he's going to be used like 15, 20 snaps a game, maybe more. But I, I think we can expect some production out of him. Not an all-pro level, but I, I think we'll see some. I think we'll see some highlights from him. Yeah, how are you, Brian? Any, any concerns? Or are you are you jacked up like we are about this? Uh, I think it's only a positive. Um, you know, is, this is a guy that if you look at um, – his pass rush pressures uh, last year, he was the 10th ranked pass rusher, according to um, a four, three defensive ends, according to pro football focus that tracks not only sacks, but pressures and QB hits. Um, you know, Cl Cliff Averill, I think was like fifth on that list. And Frank Clark was maybe eighth. So um, while people look and say he's got three sacks last year, he was creating pressure and he was actually pretty effective in, in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. We know the year before against, um, against the Cardinals um, or when he was playing for the Cardinals, he was also pretty effective. And I think CJ uh, was mentioning earlier that he'd looked a little bit at tape. I, I'd be curious, CJ, what, what you noticed when you were looking at some of his tape in the past couple of years. I mean, for his age, I mean, he's still, like Jeff mentioned before, he has that spin move. That's like pretty deadly, even for his age. Still, he has that explosiveness and that leverage. He can still get around defender. And if defender's going to sit and, and just wait, He's just gonna hit that spin cycle on him. So, I mean, for his age, I think it's I think uh, it's pretty it's a pretty good signing. I mean, what what is it lose? You know. Yeah, Bob Condota had some pretty cool quotes today from uh, Frank Clark talking about the uh, the signing of Freeney. And Clark was saying that he's kind of idolized Freeney his whole career. And Mike Mike Bennett's really pumped up about this, and he wants to spend time with Freeney and teach him that spin move. And you can add that to Clark's arsenal. And Freeney's known for being a really, really good locker room guy. I don't know if you guys saw that Amazon series on the Cardinals a couple years ago, the All or Nothing series on them. Freeney came in midseason in that show, 2015 season, when they should have probably went to the Super Bowl. 
And Freeney had a huge impact on that team, both inside the locker room and on the field. And it's almost a similar situation. It's, it's a better scheme fit. Freeney was talking today in his press conference that when he went to Arizona, he had to learn a 3-4 defense and a whole different scheme. He's coming from the Dan Quinn system, which is pretty much identical to what Seattle runs on defense. So this is – not only is it good for a locker room standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, it makes a ton of sense. And what about you, Nathan? Nathan hasn't hit on this yet, so any thoughts here? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think – Yeah, I mean, you guys covered it all. Uh, he was a terror um, playing in Seattle uh, when he was the Cardinals. So um, that's kind of the last impression I have of him, and that was just two years ago. So uh, I think it's definitely possible he can still be a highly productive player. He can get in there and make a difference, even if he's not racking up eight sacks again or whatever. But, um, yeah, there's no negative here outside of probably what this means if you had your hopes up for Brandon Albert because that just uh, – takes even more money away from the little bit they had. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. Can I just jump in for one second here, uh, Jeff, and say <laughs> you brought up the All or Nothing series. I have to admit something about who I am as a fan. So I did watch some of that series. I'll tell you, I specifically watched – I went and found the episode when they played the Seahawks at the end of the season and we beat the shit out of them. <laughs> and I watched the episode where they got their butts kicked by the Panthers and uh, in the playoffs. Those are the two episodes I watched of that series. So I can't say I got the whole Dwight Freeney effect, but uh, I sure enjoyed watching them uh, be miserable uh, in those two games. Did you see Bruce Arians' red face in that episode? Oh, yeah. You remember was, that game? It was tasty, yeah. Okay, so let's let's move on to the Giants game. There was, there was a ton to take away from that game. The first half was incredibly frustrating because considering how one-sided all the stats were and the fact that the Seahawks couldn't score all those times down in the red zone – Thomas Rawls fumbles the ball. They're down 7-3 at half. And it was just a completely one-sided game. And then it was kind of like the Colts game and the, and the fact that once they got their execution going, they just totally dominated and took over. It should have just been a one-sided – it pretty much was a one-sided game the whole time other than that one fumble. But to me, there's so many storylines that we could hit on, whether it was the, the defense playing as good as we've seen them play in a long time. Russell Wilson having his best game of the year by far. But I want to hit on a topic that we've been talking about all season. And we got any Seahawks show. been talking about this for, for three years now, but it's the offensive line who probably had their best and most complete game of the year. But again, we're left with questions. Left guard, you had Justin. I mean, you had Mark Lewinsky and Ethan Posick splitting snaps. Posick to me looked off the charts good. And Glowinski was better than he's been when he was at right guard earlier in the year. So, Brian, I know this is a, a topic you want to hit on. Should they yeah. just go all in on Posick? Or what do we still do this back and forth thing? Well, you know, I've got to acknowledge, like, the journey I've had with Ethan, Ethan Posick. Uh, yes. you know, it started with the draft where, uh, you know, I was not thrilled when his name was called because I felt like they were leaving um, – they were not taking enough talent from the most talented part of this draft, which was um, secondary safety corner. And they were delaying that. Um, then heard a little bit more about him from folks like Duke Merriweather and uh, Manyweather. I can't remember if that's his name and, and uh, someone else. And they were really showing some great film of him. I'm pretty positive. And I looked at his versatility. So I liked all that. Saw eye test in training camp. I really liked what I saw there. Very solid pass protector. Um, can play a bunch of positions. I thought he was a more effective right tackle when he was in there, at least pass protecting, than, than Fetty. And then um, he was doing well in the preseason until like 
Oh, we just uh, got our guest. So we'll put a pin in that and uh, come back. Let's um, let's welcome Joel to the show. Joel looks like he's on mute. Uh, maybe Jeff, why don't you? Yeah, Joel, you there? Yes, I'm there. Can you hear me? Yeah. Welcome to the show, Joel. How are you doing? Thanks, thanks for having me. Um, so uh, I realize we've, we've bridged all sorts of technology challenges to get you here. So I want to thank you for uh, <laughs> uh, putting up with uh, the uniqueness of our show. Um, oh, no worries. Just uh, got Google on my computer and works. <laughs> there you go. That's how that, Google will be very happy to hear you say that. So uh, that, that's all good. Um, we've got we've got a host of folks on here. Um, a bunch of us are going to have some questions for you. Um, before we get started, um, can you just? Uh, not everybody knows Joe Corey, and and obviously I know that you know you have a great background as a former agent. Um, you've done a lot of writing for folks like CBS and and other places, and um, an expert on a lot of stuff about the business behind the game. Um, can you tell people a little bit about you know who you are and your journey to to becoming what what you've uh, your career path? Sure. Um, I was an agent for over 15 years. I uh, went to UCLA for law school. Um, when I got out of out of school, started working for Leonard Armato, who represented um, at the time Ronnie Lott, Hakeem Olajuwon, and Shaquille O'Neal. Um, had probably the most amicable split you'd ever have in the industry, where mm -hmm. I left with uh, a guy I was working with to form another company, Premier Sports and Entertainment, to primarily represent football players. Leonard didn't want any interest in the football players. We shared office space for several years together. I still serve as a consultant for Shaq stuff while we were building up the football business. Some of the players you represented that you guys should be familiar with, uh, John Randall, who's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, yeah. um, Anthony Simmons, um, Lamar King, Dee Dee Lewis were just some of them, um, all Seahawks. Um, players that um, not in Seattle, Keenan McCardell, Jimmy Smith, uh, William McGinnis, Pat Sertan. Um, got out of the business uh, what, 2008, no, that's nine years ago, and kind of fell into the writing thing. <laughs> um, and it's kind of morphed into uh, a regular piece at cbssports.com called An Agent's Take. This week's piece is on five what I would call more realistic trades, which could happen, nothing big hardly ever happens at the trading deadline. And I did get one of them right because I filed the piece this morning and it posted about an hour before Dontrell Inman was traded to the Bears and I had him going for a six-round pick as opposed to conditional seventh. Hey, well, so it, it still could be in six if it's conditional, right? Yep. Yep. So that's a great, that's a, it's a great backgrounder and um, a good segue into – uh, some of the, the deadline deals that could be coming. And I know you've got you got something good for us coming on CBS uh, Sports later this week. But looking at the Seahawks, there's obviously been a lot of uh, rumors around them. You know, John Schneider, as recently as this weekend, said they're still talking. They're looking at left tackle um, as a position they're interested in. A lot of rumors around Dwayne Brown. He's now reported. There's also been a lot of rumors about Jerry Lane, who's also took to Twitter last night complaining about uh, sounds like he's getting benched um, based on coming back from this injury. Um, you know, what, if any realistic trade options do you see, uh, out there for the Seahawks and, you know, maybe specifically, 
you know, do you believe that Dwayne Brown, Texans say they're not going to trade him now. Do you believe that? Or do you think that the door is still open until the deadline with him? Uh, doors always open. Um, but I don't think he's going to get traded because they have offensive line problems of their own. Their, their tackles are horrible. Um, Chris Clark should be a bench player, not a starting player. Um, actually, he has that type of talent you guys have in your offensive line for the most part. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a fan of your offensive line at all. Um, I think that his holdout was ill-conceived. I've been through a lengthy one um, in 2004 with Keenan McCardell where it lasted 82 days. The goal was getting paid from Tampa. Then it became getting out of town at all costs. And he wasn't doing the things you would want to do to try to get out of town at all costs. It became with us trying to make it so you wouldn't want him back. He didn't do any of that, at least publicly. So I think he took his shot, was never going to work because they rarely do deals with two years left. And once the regular season starts, they don't do anything. So they weren't going to set a new precedent for him. I think he's going to go back there and play there. Um, for the rest of the year. Maybe he's not there next year. Maybe he's not. Uh, the problem is you guys don't have a ton of cap room because um, you have to be able to absorb the remaining balance of whatever contract you were going to assume. And I'm going to think a trade takes place after this week because we're getting into we're Wednesday. So you're really not going to get a guy that's going to help you this week. So you'd be responsible for nine seventeenths of a guy's base salary. You got less than two million in cap room. It was right around two million before you signed Freedy. So I'm going to peg it at about one five now, um, which you have left. So you can't, you couldn't take on Dwayne Brown's $9.4 million salary trading him for a draft pick or picks anyway, because that's basically over 50% of his, his salary left. So you're talking four seven. You couldn't take on Cordy Glenn, who's got a $9 million base. You don't have enough room for that. You could, what you'd have to do is one of two things. You have to trade a player and get a high salary guy off your books that you really find expendable. Or you're going to have to do what you did um, earlier with Doug Baldwin. And you guys typically don't restructure contracts where you're going to turn signing bonus, base salary into signing bonus to create cap room today and push off cap obligations until tomorrow. That's not something Seattle's typically done. They keep the deals clean. You sign them, they are what they are. But if you're going to do that, maybe Russell Wilson would be the guy that you would uh, approach for a restructure where he lowers his base and you get cap room uh, to try to absorb a new contract. Then the thing is, what are your, what are your options besides Dwayne Brown? Cordy Glenn, um, maybe another. Uh, are they going to trade it from the division? Because that's tough. I know they're in a kind of in fire sale mode, but are they going to trade it from the division? Um, another high salary guy. So that's that's gonna that's gonna be a tough ask. Now, if Charles Clay were going to be out for the whole year, he's probably going to come back. There is a scenario which would have worked, but I don't think. Buffalo needs Jimmy Graham. He's to me, he's been a disappointment for you guys. I know he set franchise records for a tight end last year, but those weren't that was a bad year for Jimmy Graham in um, New Orleans. I don't see how you guys are going to resign him for any significant money next year because he's getting older and he's not the type of tight end, at least I thought you guys were getting 
that would have worked. Jimmy Graham's salary off the books, Cordy Glenn coming in, and I don't know what else would have to be involved in that trade. You have to give up something else to get a uh, young left tackle in his prime um, with multiple years left on his contract. Maybe you revisit Brandon Albert, or it's going to be more of a minor deal like Chantrell Henderson, because Buffalo's got five tackles on the roster. Something's got to give, but I don't know if it's going to be Cordy Glenn. It's not going to be Deion Dawkins really drafting the second round. But um, Philadelphia now has a need at, at left tackle. Um, Joe Thomas could have been a potential option. Should have been there for the past couple of years. That would have been a guy I would have made a move for. But now he's gone for the year. So uh, the options are limited. Yeah, yeah. I think you hit on a lot of it. The, the the items that we've been talking about on on the regular are, you know, Jimmy Graham. There's there's a lot of belief that the team's willing to move on him and that part of the value might be the the comp pick that the team would that the other team would get um you know that when he signs elsewhere I'm not sure he's taking a pay cut he's the highest paid tight end right now at 10 million per year that market has remained stagnant you got the good young guys uh the Travis Kelsey's the Zach Ertz's the uh Jordan Reeds that signed for between 8.5 and 9.5 million they didn't beat Jimmy Graham Gronkowski signed a six-year deal two years into the league, so he's got three years left on his contract. He's at 90 a year, and he's been unhappy. The needle hasn't moved for tight end since Graham signed 2014. He is going to take a pay cut on his next deal. Um, maybe it's going to be in the $6, 7000000 million per year range, but no one's going to pay Jimmy Graham the money he's making now. So that's going to influence the comp pick you would get um, Absolutely. if you did trade for him. Absolutely. So there's there's that, and then there's the the other mechanism we've talked about, which is Jeremy Lane uh, moving and and uh, contract restructures you've talked about. So I think there are limited options, as as you've mentioned. And um, I'm curious. One other thing before I, I hand it over to Jeff, who, who's got some questions as well. Um, one of the more unique things that's been going on with the Seahawks is what's happened with Malik McDowell, and um, you know, second round pick this year. Uh, had a non-football injury, uh, didn't, you know, has been on the NFI, the non-football injury list this whole season. And uh, they weren't sure he's ever going to come back. They still aren't necessarily sure, but he's been cleared to work out now. He's on, uh, you know, he's coming back and, and doing physical exercise. There's an outside chance that he comes back this season after all. Um, how would that work just from a mechanics of, of salary cap perspective? Does his, you know, he has a 1.25 or whatever, uh, you know, million dollar uh, salary this year. Does that automatically get added in? And, you know, how would that potentially be handled? And do you think that there's an incentive for the team to actually hold him out so that his rookie contract doesn't start till next year, which is, is something I think I've been, been told is, is what would happen if he did not come off NFI? Well, one thing about being on NFI is the team does not have to pay your base salary. It is up to the team's discretion. Uh, some teams pay your full base salary. He's got a $465,000 minimum base salary like every draft pick in the league. He obviously had a signing bonus of almost $3.2 million. Seattle, while he is on um, NFI, they're paying him $5,000 a week, so they're getting cap relief there. Um, if he stays on NFI the whole year, you're not getting you're not getting a an accrued season, which is a year of service uh, for free agency. You're also not getting a credited season, which is a year of service for minimum salary purposes. Um, Dallas was in that same position last year with uh, Jalen Smith. 
even though he got hurt in the Fiesta Bowl for NFL purposes, that's considered a non-football injury. So he stayed on that list the whole year rehabbing his knee. And Dallas is going to have extra rights because your your contract runs, but when your contract is uh, up, you'll have three years of service for free agency. So you'll be a restricted free agent. So if McDowell doesn't get the year of service for free agency this year, in 2021, assuming he can still play, he'd be a restricted free agent. There was a guy this year who had that uh, same situation. Remember the great rookie year Kiko Alonso had in, I think, 2000, was it 13 or 14, yep. whenever he was a rookie? Second year, um, in between the break from mini camp and starting camp, he's back at Oregon, blows out his knee working out, non-football injury. Spent the whole second year on NFI. They paid him because – he was that good as a rookie, so they weren't going to penalize him that way. But when his contract expired after this past season, he was a restricted free agent this year. That's the situation McDowell would be in uh, if you're on NFI. That's the worst possible list you can be on because you don't get rights, the same rights you'd be afforded under the collective bargaining agreement if you were on IR. On IR. Jeff? Uh, hey, Joel. Um so the Seahawks have a ton of interesting cap decisions coming up. They got Sheldon Richardson's going to be a free agent. Uh, Paul Richardson, they have a ton of other players coming up. They signed Britt already and Chancellor. And possible extensions for Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman, who are both going into their last year, next year. Kyle Walker and Frank Clark are near the end of their rookie contracts. What do you see as the big priorities for this team going into next offseason? Because you usually are ahead of the curve on that. Given all the choices they have, what do, what do you see as their number, their top priorities? Well, I think Frank Clark's going to become more of a priority because Cliff Averill's career may be over. Um, so you're going to have to – if Averill's done or isn't the player that he was before he got hurt, if he comes back, then you're going to really have to make sure Clark, Frank Clark doesn't leave. I think it's an either-or proposition with one of your two secondary players, uh, Sherman or Earl Thomas. And part of the problem with uh, Thomas is once you paid Cam Chancellor in the uh, Rashad Jones range, you set a floor for uh, any new deal with Earl Thomas. Uh, given that there was the rumor that they were shopping uh, Richard Sherman, I tend to think that was more just teach him a lesson um, that – he may be the odd man out next year. You've had uh, Griffin come in and play well as a corner. Um, if you had uh, uh, Deshaun Shedd playing like he did last year, you've never hurt his knee, then it may have, that would make it an easier decision to move on because uh, Shedd was a pleasant surprise last year. Uh, but I think it's one of those two secondary members. Uh, you moved Jermaine Curse, so I think you – Really going to have to try to re-sign Richardson. He's not. He can't, he's not going to be an expensive re-signing. Plus, they're going to be a glut of receivers on the open market. Uh, Jimmy Graham, you're not going to franchise him. Um, and if you did, his bonus proration from the uh, from the Saints deal counts. So it's going to be a pretty penny. You're, that's never going to happen. You won't franchise him. Um, so I think that's where your, your, your where your priorities are really going to be. Sheldon Richardson uh, hasn't been the addition that I thought he would be. You're probably not going to tag him. Um, 
for $14 million and some change. You're getting a benefit that he's now an interior defensive lineman, a DT, as opposed to even though three, four ends are really interior guys. But Muhammad Wilkerson had the DN franchise tag, which is a whole lot uh, higher than the uh, DT tag. But still, I don't think he put a $14 million tag on him. So Evan, uh, this is this is uh, you, you've worked with Joel before. Uh, Joel may not always remember it, but uh, you've asked some questions before on the cap stuff. And Joel Evans, a guy that writes on our site about uh, basically. Monster. Oh yeah, I remember. I, I have a I have a memory like an elephant, so I, I pretty much remember everything. And I can I can I can be confident as a good memory because because Evan's a, a good memory kind of guy. But uh, Evan, you know, what were some of the questions you had for Joel? As, as uh, we have a rare treat to have him yeah, Joel. so just kind of stopping back off on the earl thomas contract obviously he's currently signed to a four-year 40 million dollars ends in 2018 obviously we know the seahawks love to extend uh their star elite players a year before they hit free agency in terms of earl thomas what do you think we are looking at numbers wise guarantees wise if the seahawks choose to extend him obviously we have you know the honey badger who just just signed that i think $12 million APY deal, $62 million total uh, with, with, with the Cardinals. So what, do you, what do you think we're looking at with Earl Thomas if we choose to extend him? Oh, your floor is Cam Chancellor because I'm surprised you paid him 12 – the deal averages $12 million a year. It's a short-term extension. There are $25 million in total guarantees, um, not the amount fully guaranteed at signing, but you're going to exceed that because the last time – the deal was significantly greater. You were talking seven million versus ten million. He's going to be near the top of the safety market, if not setting the market, which would be exceeding um, Eric Berry, because that's what the agent's going to want want to do. In his absence, well, you really saw how much you missed him last year when he was gone. So, are you were you shocked by the guarantees in Cam Chancellor's recent extension? Yeah, I thought considering you were drafting a bunch of secondary guys in secondary, he was going to be the odd man out. I was surprised you actually did the deal with him. Yeah, just looking at I'm just looking at his contract at over the cap right now, and he's in 2018. He's got a 6.8 base, 2.5 signing bonus proration, and I'm not seeing much guarantees beyond 2018. And I wonder if he's a Seahawk even beyond 2018. He's got obviously 2019 and 2020 is kind of those filler years on the back end, but that contract when when that was extended, that that's one of those contracts where I was like, this is a two year deal. I, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably right. That's probably right. If he's still playing at a high level, it's three. Uh, but you guys haven't done huge signing bonuses, so you wouldn't have tons of dead money. You don't do guarantees vesting a year early, so you don't have to have – you're not having like a 19 guarantee vesting in 18. You guys go year to year now, so uh, you have an early vesting date, which is like – five, six days after the Super Bowl for the injury guarantee to full guarantee, but you still can get out of it with relatively uh, small cap pain. That's just how all those deals are, are structured, except for Russell Wilson, who got the huge signing bonus. Yeah. Let's jump around to another deal. Um, what's your thoughts on the Luke Jokel one-year deal that, that John Schneider signed to signed him to in the offseason? I think it was one year, seven mil almost fully guaranteed or something like that. What was your thought on that deal? A lot of, a lot of Seahawks bloggers were kind of ticked that there weren't, you know, some years on the back end associated with that, but I, I didn't think the agent, I didn't think his agent would have gone for that. What's, what's your take? Uh, 
it's a, it's a great day to be a mediocre offensive lineman in the NFL. Because uh, would you rather have Luke Jokel on a one-year deal or the Matt Khalil deal where you're basically stuck for two years, if not three? Uh, the agent was probably looking at all those deals and was like, hmm, I'll take the one. Uh that's about where it was going to be on a one because you look at Russell Okung and his one once you factored in the incentives he earned was right around $8 million. I still don't know what, how anyone would sign him, at least on average salary, to be the highest paid offensive lineman in the league for what he did in Denver. So that's what I mean. It's uh, great to be not an elite lineman. Um, yeah, that, uh, that deal's about where it should be. And if you were going to put the extra years, you're probably going to have to – guarantee the second year of structure for the agent satisfaction or at least be there the second year. Mm-hmm. So I think he actually worked out better for the Seahawks to me because he's now gotten hurt that it's a one-year deal. No, I, I completely agree. Um, one player that we're obviously have been talking about a lot and we just briefly mentioned with the trade deadline coming up is Jeremy Lane. You know, the Seahawks have appear to have some good corner depth going on right now with Justin Coleman you know, Shaq Griffin, Sherman Healthy, Deshaun Shedd hopefully returning, Nico Thorpe. Jeremy Lane is one of those guys that carries a fairly significant salary, you know, 5.25 mil uh, cap hit for 2017. 2018, we're looking at 7.25 mil. Um, what, do, what do you think the Seahawks do with him? Do you really think he's on the trade block? Obviously, the corner position, I think, is in demand around the league. Um, yeah, there's, some, there's, some, there's some teams that need some corners, and there's one – in particular, where it'd be an easy transition system-wise, uh, Oakland, yep. uh, that secondary is atrocious. <laughs> uh, I don't know if he's really that much of an upgrade there. Um, I was never in love with the deal you did of him to begin with. Um, if I'm Oakland and I want someone familiar with that system, I'd imagine Maxwell would be a whole lot cheaper right now since he's out on the street. Or if I'm really trying to get a cornerback, if I'm Oakland, what I suggested in, in my article is get the uh, disgruntled Dominique rogers Cromarty from the Giants for a fifth mm-hmm. and go from there. Um, I think you're kind of stuck with him for the year, and I don't expect Jeremy Lane to be back next year. What do you, what do you think Maxwell's uh, market looks like? Well, he's got guaranteed. He's got a $5 million total guarantee this year he's, uh, from his base salary. He's made – I'd say, what, about two-thirds of that? He's not going to be signing for much money on a one-year deal. Then he's going to collect the difference in termination pay uh, from his full base salary versus the guarantee. So you don't really need to pay him a ton of money. He's going to be double-dipping anyway. Um, he's going to probably – I wouldn't be surprised if he signed for his league minimum someplace this year. So shouldn't the Seahawks do it? He's had his best success in Seattle, but then he tried to bring Brandon Browner back, and that didn't necessarily pan out. Um, <laughs> this is true. This is true. Browner was a little older, though. Yeah, Browner was a little older, but yeah, I think it might be worth a shot. Um, still not the your your biggest concern because you have a surplus of, of corners. Um, but he, I think he's he's an upgrade over Lane to me personally. Yeah, we've got a couple upgrades over Lane on the roster. So uh, I'm not a huge fan of uh, of any additional corners getting added. I'd love to see one subtracted um, if we can get any value for it. CJ, I know you had a question for Joel. What, what, what was it? What was that? 
Yeah, hey, Joel, CJ here. Big fan. Hi. Hi. I want to switch over to the offensive side. I know um, Seattle likes to pay their defensive players. I mean, the difference is lopsided. Uh, we got a couple contracts coming up with uh, Paul Richardson. He's he's done this year, I believe. And then Tyler Lockett um, a year after this one. How do teams view contract situations, especially with situations with Paul Richardson's injury uh, pass and with Tyler Lockett coming from a severe injury as well? Um, who do you sign in, in terms of, like, who do you want to leave and who you want to take? Well, the further you get away from an injury, the better off you are. So you come back, you have a serious knee injury or leg injury, and you come back and play then the injury becomes pretty much a non-issue from a contract standpoint. Um, Lockett was playing sooner, uh, started playing immediately as a rookie, uh, as opposed to Richardson, who took some time to play. You're already paying Doug Baldwin like $10, million, $11 per year. That's your number one. That's a good value for a one. We saw that the number two market was around $8 million for the unproductive Kenny Britt. Like uh, Robert Woods is like at seven eight seven point eight million. Uh, you had Curse in the four to five million dollar range, uh, so it's probably going to be somewhere between those two for one of those two because you're not going to pay both of them that that level. And the one you don't pay, whether you have to make a choice, Richardson or Lockett, and the one you don't pay is going to go elsewhere. Kind of like when you had Golden Tate and Curse, you didn't keep both. <laughs> Yeah, right. well, unfortunately, that was a you kept, yeah. You kept the wrong one. That was well. It's funny you say that. I actually look at it as they had Golden Tate and they had Doug Baldwin, and then they traded for Percy Harvin, and that contract. Yeah, Percy Harvin's the one between, screwed everything up. Yeah, they had to decide between Baldwin and Tate, and and I think you know Sophie's choice there. I think they ended up in in a good place, although obviously uh, once they made the the Harvin deal, they were stuck with his contract. So. The best thing you did about Harvin was you admitted the mistake and moved on and let John Idzik let it become John Idzik's problem. His problem. Hey, I, I gotta. I, I I will only take credit when John Schneider makes good moves. You know, I, I was pretty against the Harvin trade, so I I can't say that I moved on. But I am proud of John for uh, being smart to have done that. Hey, there's um, a team in your division which has a Harvin-like contract. For the life of me, I can't figure out why. The Rams paid Tavon Austin two years early for a guy that does next to nothing. Basically, he's like your backup running back there now. So I don't get that one. Never have, never will. Okay, you're going to pay Percy Harvin. I mean, you're going to pay Tavon Austin, who I call him a poor man's Percy Harvin. Uh, and, and, and you're going to give Aaron Donald grief for wanting to be the first $20 million per year nine quarterback. Go figure. That's a great point. That's a great point. Nathan, uh, you haven't had a chance. A uh, question you got for, for Joel. Yeah, hey, Joel. Um, you were kind of touching on some of Seattle's tendencies that, you know, they don't restructure contracts. I think you said they don't tend to give out big signing bonuses. Uh, is Seattle kind of unique in that way? Uh, is there a lot of variation in, in how teams approach the cap? And, and what do you think of how Seattle has managed their cap? Uh, that's now become more the predominant structure. You, you don't see huge signing bonuses except maybe for a quarterback. When I first got in the industry, that was the only form of guaranteed money. Over time, it's kind of uh, – you've had base salary guarantees. Now signing bonuses are being minimized. I don't know why agents went to that because if you're going to have base salary guarantees, 
You need no offset to put you in the same position as if you had a big signing bonuses, but all these salary guarantees have offsets, which means that if you get cut, then for whatever the salary guarantee amount, say it's $2 million, you're, the new team you sign with will pay the Seahawks the $2 million so they can recoup the guarantee. If you want to, you need the no offset uh, if you're the player to me. Now, um, you got teams like Denver. They structure deals very similarly to uh, Seattle. When they went out and had that spending spree in free agency a few years ago with Tlaib, uh, TJ Ward, and DeMarcus Ware, none of those guys had huge signing bonuses and they had the base salary guarantees, which vested um, as the year came up. Minnesota did multiple extensions this year. Uh, Everson Griffin, um, Linval Joseph, Rob Brzezinski, their cap guy, did a great job of being able to get out of those deals at almost any time he wants without any adverse cap consequences. So Seattle may have gotten in this structure a little before other teams, but it's now what savvy cap people do. Hey, Joel. Um, one of the guys that doesn't get any national attention, but John Schneider and some of Seahawks uh, guys inside the front office rave about is Matt Thomas, their cap guy. I don't know if you have a relationship with him or not, but what's your impression of him and kind of the role he's had building the Seahawks salary cap? Oh, yeah, I like Matt because I dealt with him in, um, when he was in Miami because we did Pat Sertan's big deal um, with um, uh, Matt and also uh, Rick Spielman when he was there. Oh, Matt, Matt's, Matt's really good. He knows, he knows what he's doing cap wise. So you guys have got a good one in Matt Thomas. And anyone else? Uh, yeah, I've got actually one more question for you, Joel. Um, obviously last, you know, in the past couple of years, you've seen Russell Okun kind of spearhead this uh, representing himself in terms of free agency and, and, you know, kind of foregoing the typical agent route. You know, obviously there's been a lot of talk, discussion, controversy over that and how, in terms of how he approached that, What's, what's your opinion as a, as a former agent on that? I don't think it's going to gain huge traction. Where it will probably gain more traction in place else is on the rookie deal because you guys can get the same deal that Tom Conn and Drew Rosenhaus get because it's a, it's a scale. Only round where there's something more to negotiate is the third round because the think the Joey Bosa case was an anomaly. You're not going to see a guy hold out over signing bonus payout or, or – uh, offsets that's going to be an anomaly uh i don't think a lot of players want to deal with trying to be their own agent in free agency or negotiating with the team because anytime you negotiate for yourself particularly if it's your own team you're going to be too close to the situation so uh it may get too emotional and you may not have the proper perspective and the team is going to it's going to create a issue with the team from the standpoint that they're going to have to say disparaging things about you and then have to come back and work with you if they sign you to an extension. Cause I know that Jimmy Graham was kind of miffed during his um, arbitration or grievance hearing for whether he should be classified as a receiver or tight end for franchise tag purposes with some of the things the saints were saying about him. Uh, so I, I don't think players really some will. You got some very smart players like Doug Baldwin could really smart guy. He can negotiate his own contract if he wanted to. Um, definitely more than capable. But I, Jerry Jones makes a habit of sometimes trying to cut the agent, circumvent the agent 
and talk to the player. Des Bryant fell for that trap a little bit the year before. He signed his big deal right around the time Demarius Thomas did as a franchise player. And Des quickly realized he was at such an information and experience advantage from a business standpoint. He decided, I'll let my people handle it. Um, I don't think you're going to see a ton of guys representing themselves. I know Rashard Jennings, the Dancing with the Stars guy, did it himself. Um, got a fine deal. You would have the NFL PA assist you um, with the deal. But most guys aren't going to go that route to try to save a commission. Hey, Joel. Um, last question before we let you go. I um, uh, really appreciate all the time you've taken tonight. No, no problem. Um, obviously, one of the big stories this year has been what's been going on with uh, the anthem and and some of the stuff that's kind of off the field. I'm curious, you know, from an agent perspective, what would be your conversation with a client um, uh, in regards to how they want to operate here and what kind of guidance might you give somebody? Um, you know, how do you think this is going to impact things going forward between uh, the NFL and, and some of these players? Well, I think the anthem thing is a personal decision um, for the player. Um, I'd explain the pros and cons to the player that here's what negatively could happen. And if you're comfortable with that and it's that important to you, then do it. For a fringe player, I would strongly recommend if you're a back-end roster guy, you stand at attention like everyone else because you are easily replaceable. Um, for someone who has some sort of stature, that's a different equation. Um, one thing that I do think is going to, I think one thing that I do think is that has happened is I think we've kind of lost sight of what the original message was. Cause part of yeah. it, some weeks was a protest against Donald Trump and now that's kind of died down and now it's a general overall theme of unity for some people. But that's not what Colin Kaepernick's original message was. Um, one thing I do think is going to happen, probably starting this offseason, I expect some teams to start negotiating into salary guarantees and contracts because there is a laundry list of things which void salary guarantees that will be disrespecting the anthem or some sort of verbiage in there where guarantees are going to avoid. They, they void if you refuse to report or play at any time during your contract, get suspended for conduct detrimental under one of the policies, whether it's personal conduct, PED, substance abuse, and in Ezekiel Elliott, even if he gets fined by the league, his guarantees void. So it's not going to be a large stretch to me to see some team or teams start trying to negotiate some sort of language in there for – salary guarantees avoiding relating to conduct with the national anthem. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. We're all, uh, all passionate about the issue that this is all started about and, and want to see that improve. But in any event, uh, really appreciate you coming on, Joel. And uh, thanks for taking the time and, and hope we can have you back on in the future. This is we have so many more questions and uh, a lot of great stuff going on. And where can they find you? Uh, oh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, last name first, because there is some sort of bodybuilder DJ in London who has my same name, has a first name, last name, so I couldn't do that. I don't have a common name, so go figure. And I, I can you can find my uh, work regularly at CBSSports.com. It's a regular column called an Agents Take. There's one up right now on five sensible trades. None of this. Let's trade Jimmy Garoppolo somewhere because that's never going to happen because Tom Brady didn't have a backup anymore because Jacoby Brissett is an Indy. Or Eli Manning's not going to Jacksonville before next Tuesday, so it was some more 
I thought more realistic type trades, which could happen. Uh, but guys, thanks for having me. And uh, anytime you want to have me back on, I'm more than happy to do it. Awesome. Cool. Thanks so much, Joel. You got it. Wow. So another great guest there, guys. Uh, we've got a bunch more lined up. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to next week and the week after. So, yeah, before Joel came on, we kind of got sidetracked. And, yeah, we're 45 minutes or 47 minutes into our show right now. We barely touched on that awesome or probably their best performance of the season. The Seahawks' best all-around performance of the season. Wasn't always pretty. The first half probably drove us all crazy in some regard. But Brian was getting into this before, but he was cut off. Ethan Posick, any further thoughts on this or? Yeah, I'll finish. I'll finish that. <laughs> Glad you brought that. Up. Yeah. So, so anyway, I was going through the journey and, and basically I got to the point in the preseason where he got to, I think it was about the third game where all of a sudden I started seeing uh, him get beat and getting overpowered and his pass protection was not looking um, nearly as solid. And all of a sudden his playtime started to shrink. So the coaches were clearly seeing it as well. One of the things I've always noticed with Posick is that he is a better pass blocker than run blocker right now. He hasn't shown the strength. I've, I haven't seen him move people as much um, in run. And I continue to think that's true, which puts him at a disadvantage with Tom Cable um, because Cable will always pick a Jermaine Effetti who is a, a you know people mover um, that maybe can't pass block as well over someone who's a good pass protector. Well, now you get to this game and I thought Posick looked – professional i thought he looked more polished than what i was everyone was very high on luke joko we've been singing his praises he's improved from the first game but he's also a guy that's been run over multiple times and overpowered and i didn't think he was great i just thought he was better than what we were seeing from these other players and there was a lot of talk that the reason he was great is because of you know he's a veteran he could communicate well Riso Diambo had his best game with a rookie playing next to him and Ethan Posick. So I, I was really excited about what I saw in Posick. I didn't see almost anything I didn't like. And I was disappointed to hear today that they're still going to be splitting reps this week with Glowinski and Posick. I, I think we've seen what Glowinski is. Um, you know, let him keep developing, be a backup for now, give Posick a chance to really spread his wings. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. I, I'm, I especially was glad to see Posick play so well because – Unlike you, Brian, I was very, very excited when they drafted him. I know a lot of people wanted a cornerback or maybe a safety at that stage of the draft, but to me, I was so excited at the time about Posick because he was kind of different than all the Seahawks linemen have drafted. He wasn't an athletic freak like some of these other guys. He was a technician, and his, his technique was so much better. It was almost the anti-cable pick. And to see him actually do it on the field in the game. And we were talking last week about where is he going to fit in the future, which are the guard spots. And to see him slide into left guard against some pretty good players on that Giants defensive line. And what do you have, a 100% pass blocking efficiency rating on pro football right. focus? Yeah. See that kind of performance in his first game, although it wasn't the full 100% of the snaps. To me, it was really encouraging. But there's a ton of compelling storylines from that game. So how about you, Nathan? What really jumped out for me from that Giants game? Yeah, I mean, Posick was definitely a big one. Um, I think he impressed, um, and it was uh, it was pretty infuriating to see them rotate. Um, they actually got into a little bit of the the big nickel, which was interesting for something that they had talked about for a long time. Uh, uh, 
McDougal, I mean, I thought Ingram played well. Um, so we'll see how well McDougal does going forward. But um, that was really interesting to me to see them finally kind of use the safeties that they've got on the roster now. Do you see that as a matchup thing or just something that they're going to see going going forward? It's, it seems like it's a matchup thing, right? That they they came up against a team where really their only threat is that that one tight end. And, uh, you know, he's uh, uber athletic. Um, he's not your typical tight end. Even even for all the athletic tight ends we have now, he's he's one of the more athletic ones. So, yeah, it seemed to me like a, a, a matchup thing for sure. One question I had, uh, do we just lose CJ? I'm going to ask him a question. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> Hopefully he comes back. Um, so what did you guys, I mean, what do you guys make of the offensive line performance? That's one of the things I'm kind of grappling with right now is I looked at the Giants defensive line and I see Jason Pierre-Paul at three sacks the week before against Denver. I see Snacks Harrison, who's, you know, a mountain mover and um you know you'd think he'd be able to to do a lot of damage uh they've got some good talent up there and yet ode abushi he had a perfect 42 out of 42 pass rush uh, pass block um productivity uh piece he didn't allow any pressures you know you had actually brit was allowing mo- more pressures and um, partially maybe because he was hurt but what do you make of it um you know evan maybe we'll start with you like do you do you think that what you saw was was uh, repeatable, or do you think it was you know the Giants maybe weren't playing their best? What what was your read? I think uh, I'm 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 gonna have to spit a little bit of a hot take here. I think uh, we I think we have to give credit to Tom Cable, Ooh. our offensive line coach, for put. I, I think they're I think he's coaching them up every single week. And this I, is the guy that can't tell the difference between Posick and Glowinski. We're gonna give him credit. <laughs> True. I, I guess. <laughs> um, I yeah no I, I I went back and watched the the coaches film a little bit today. I uh, just kind of hitting on the points that you guys said. I I was really impressed with uh, with um, w- with the rookie. He 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 was a he was he was a freaking like stone wall in pass protection. I, I went through and watched every single offensive snap of his, and he 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 played incredibly well on Sunday. So I I, I don't. I, I don't understand how you can go back to rotating glow in, in into any any position, whether it be whether it be left guard or right guard, with Luke Jokel returning. I think you have to find a way to get the rook uh, on the offensive line uh, playing. Um, what, what, one kind of point I did want to kind of tap upon though is is it seemed like Ifedi kind of struggled on Sunday. Is that correct? Was that your guys' take? It wasn't his best game, I don't think. Uh, uh, I don't know that he was particularly bad, but I mean, he definitely. I mean, aside from just the penalties too, I noticed that he was, um, and I mean, I figured this would happen because I wrote something nice about him. So of course he'd turn around and, and <laughs> disappoint me. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say he was a da- disaster. Either, but I, th- I thought it was probably one of his weaker efforts. He was very jumpy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe he was worried about the Pierre Paul matchup or he's trying to nail the snap count on the road. But he w- until the first half, he was really rough in terms of that. He was taking too many penalties that killed a couple drives. In the second half, he really settled down and was much better, and that's when the team got rolling. But I know Cable and Pete Carroll both mentioned that's that's the youth issue, where sometimes he's just way too amped up and way too excited, and I have to wonder if that's just the Pierre-Paul matchup. 
they said he's going to get better with the experience. But, yeah, he he's way jumpier than he'd been in kind of the previous games where he really looked good on tape this year. Yeah, I, I think – I mean, Cable was funny about it today. You know, they're asking if they if he talked to him at halftime. He's like, it was about halfway through the second quarter. Like, I sat him down and, and, and said, look, dude, you got to you gotta believe in yourself and stop. The way he put it, it was, it was an accountability issue, which is an interesting way to put it. But uh, he did extinguish the behavior, uh, to put it in uh, behavioral psychology terms. So anyway, I think that it was an interesting um, interesting game for Effetti based on not just what uh, Nathan had, had written, but Fetty's yet to give up a sack this year, and he still has not given up a sack this year. And he was going against Jason Pierre-Paul. Um, so even though it was not his best game and he did give up some pressures and some QB hits, let's just take a step, uh, pause for a second. Jermaine Effetti just played against Jason Pierre-Paul and did not give up a sack to him. I don't believe any one of us would have predicted that before this season. Like, I thought he was going to be an abject disaster out there. He's not been that. So I think even though he struggled a little bit, I, I take it as more, you know, positive. And I think the other person who's not getting any attention, and I think this might be competition-based, uh, is Riso Diambo. He was the fifth-rated tackle in the NFL last week by PFF in terms of pass, pass blocking. It's pretty good. Um, and he, it's definitely the best game he's had by far. So um, I don't think he had as much, you know, much uh, competition to go against. There was no JPP over there. And he definitely, as we transition in, in a little while, talking about the Texans, he's going to have Jadavian Clowney across from him um, on Sunday. So we'll find out if he really did take any steps forward. And switching to the other side of the ball, for me, my big takeaway is I was floored by the amount of dominant – maybe dominant isn't the right word, but the amount of great defensive performances that Seattle had in that game. And they really built off that Rams game where they kind of looked like the old Seattle defense and they put together two games as good as any games I can remember in, in quite some time on defense. And just the amount of players that jumped off the film to me really floored me. Bobby Wagner has been as, any, as good as any player on the team this year was – Crazy good on Sunday. Jaron Reed, a guy who I've been shouting at all year, had his best game by far this season. Started to show a little more in the pass rush. He was a dominant run player. We've mentioned Shaq Griffin and Justin Coleman. They were both awesome, although the Giants didn't have any of their starting receivers playing. Griffin, Coleman, Earl, and Cam. Cam was great in run support. Just the amount of players across the team. And this defense, to me, I know it wasn't the best opponent. There's, they look back to what they were a couple years ago. and. Maybe I'm overreacting to a small sample, but it's just a great – it's great to see. And, yeah, they're still not getting what they want, particularly out of Sheldon Richardson. Michael Bennett's got a foot injury, and maybe the pass rush isn't up to par. But that back seven's been damn good. I, I, I thought this when, when Joel was talking before about Sherman. Remember all that talk about Sherman and Russell Wilson? And somebody how quickly that's gone away, right? Sherman's it's, been off it's, it's, it's off-season. It's, it's those off-season articles that are just, you know – meant to keep up the clicks and keep our attention in other directions, but yeah. And to me, the other one was, I want to see JD McKissick get involved more. I'm, I'm tired of Eddie Lacy. Thomas Rawls is just too, he showed a little, he showed a little something, but he's just too excited all the time. For me, when McKissick's in, he's got a clear role and you know what you're going to get. And when he touched the ball on Sunday, 
he was dynamic almost all of his touches. I want to see. I know Brian will agree with this, but I want to see more <laughs> McKissick. I CJ Process is injured every five minutes. He got tweaked his ankle in his one pass pro set. I'm tired of talking about him. More McKissick, less Lacey, and I want. I want to see. I'd rather see that rotation. Yeah, I mean, people were calling – so this past Sunday, people were calling for people – like the Seahawks to cut C.J. Procise. And I'm like, all right, you know, obviously he's had he's had his – had an incredible amount of injuries and he's hurt almost every other week. But you're also not going to cut a third-rounder, round, third rounder, I think is what he was. You're, you're not going to cut a third-round running back, especially with your, with your group being so shallow. So I, I agree with Jeff. I, I'd like to see J.D. McKissick a little bit more. He, he makes some plays. He, he's a little bit of a dual threat, so – I'd like to see him pick up some more snaps. Okay, how about Brian? Here's the one, because you've been not critical, but fair and tough and fair on Russell Wilson. This was a unique game for Russell where he really took off. He really had his best performance by number metrics, but the first half of the game was so infuriating with those red zone issues. He missed the deep ball to Doug Baldwin when he's wide open. But outside of that, he made a ton of amazing throws. And What was your evaluation of his performance? Uh, by my eye, you know, immediately following the game, I thought it was the best performance of the year, most complete from start to finish. Um, I think there was definitely some plays that you, it was not a perfect game. Um, people, the easy ones were the overthrow to Doug. Um, you know, you, I think he had a pretty bad miss to lock it at the end of the fourth quarter, you know, that stood out to me, but the ones that bugged me the most, just from a, you know, technician standpoint was were that some of the red red zone throws the first red zone fade to Jimmy was overthrown didn't give him a chance to make a play I think even the the red zone fade that Jimmy dropped which 100% he should have caught it not saying he shouldn't it was a poorly thrown ball it should never be at his waist um those are things where it's a little infuriating to me because that's a throw that Jimmy and Russell can be throwing 100 times every practice at the end of practice to where they can do it with their eyes closed and so that's a little frustrating that they can't seem to quite get that down um, at the same time we now have two straight games with touchdowns on fades to Jay Graham so you know fact-based I mean that, that is progress um, compared to zero in the first few games but I thought you know uh, I'll go back to one of the things Cable said today in his press conference I thought it was a really interesting insight he said his favorite play of the game was the touchdown to Doug Baldwin specifically because Russell Wilson recognized the defense, adjusted, made a pre-snap call, changed the protection, changed the play, and made the throw. And Cable said we didn't even have the right personnel on the field for what he was you know, changing to. Don't know what that means specifically, but the point being that Cable said that was one of the coolest checks he's seen in his football career. Now, they – they tend to be, you know, a lot of hyperbole among the, the Seahawks coaching staff. So take that for what it's worth. What I hear when I when I when I hear that is that's a that's a veteran play that they want to see more of from Russell, and they want to give credit to him and shine a light on him when he does that stuff right. And uh, he did it in that game. And look, this guy could have easily, easily had 450 yards and five touchdowns in that game, easily just by hitting some throws that we know he can hit and by having guys catch passes that are you know, like right in their hands. So I was really pleased. If we get that Russell Wilson the rest of the way, I'll tell you right now, guys, talk about a hot take. 
he has a chance to win the MVP. Uh, if the Seahawks, if the Seahawks continue down the path they're going, you look around the NFL, you tell me who is a cinch to win the MVP. The Seahawks go on a hot streak and their defense is as good as it looks like it's going to be. Um, and the offense continues to progress. His last few games, you could see this turning into an MVP type season. How about you, Nathan? How did you evaluate Russell's game? Uh, I thought he mostly played really well. Um, there were a couple misses. Neither of the ones with Jimmy, I, I'm, I'm going to criticize him too much for um, on the drop. I mean, you hit a guy in the hands, he can bring it in. And it wasn't maybe a perfect throw, but I, I think, you know, Jimmy boxed his guy out. Cornerback ended up on the ground, and Jimmy can't bring it in. His hands can bring it in. That's, that's Jimmy, right? I mean, you can talk about, like, perfect ball placement, but that's Jimmy. Um, the other one, uh, it's hard to say whether he overthrew or whether Jimmy ran the route a little short. Um, I think if Jimmy had, you know, gone a yard deeper, then it would have been a perfect throw. Um, but he didn't, so either he overthrew it or Jimmy ran a little short, and I don't really know uh, if we can tell which is which. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I th- – he got a ton of uh, praise, not just from Cable, but from Pete, too, for all of his uh, line checks. And, you know, he was um, right on top of it. The other two things that he had that were kind of bad were uh, he had the sack that he took, um, which was kind of just a – it was a bad sack, but basically all of the receivers went one way, and he got forced out of the pocket the other way. Uh, and so that's why he just ended when I watched that, that was one of the weirdest sacks I've ever seen him take. Cause he kind of just starts walking backwards and gets sacked. And it, it was like, what are you doing Russ? Um, but, uh, he, he was pretty much just in a bad situation. They were probably just sort of throwing it away really. But, uh, and then the other one, the intentional grounding was kind of the same deal. Um, he was, uh, all the receivers were going one way this time. He makes sure that he ro- rolls out with his receivers, but he's not able to, uh, it, it doesn't, He's not able to get away from the defender. Um, he just kind of keeps going with the defender's path, and so he has to ditch it. Um, and I guess good effort for trying to get rid of it. But um, but both of those were a little bit situational. He wasn't just, you know, completely boneheaded. Um, and those are the, really the only nitpicks that you can make. I mean, he he missed the deep ball, but I think he completed 50% of his deep passes, right, uh, on the game. Um, maybe even more than that, really. So, you know, it's hard to get too critical there. Um, it was overall just a really solid performance from him. I think probably one of the more consistent ones that we've seen from him all year long. And you, you hit on it. That was my point. I think the issue with Russell this year, above anything, has been consistency. There's been so many of those bad first halves. And, yeah, he didn't score a touchdown in the first half. But Russell looked really good out of the jump this week. And it didn't take him two quarters to get it figured out. And, yeah, the red zone is still an issue for him. Even if any, or I can't remember who takes that penalty that leads them to the 30-yard line instead of the 20, and they score a touchdown on that next play. That was a blessing. And just, it, was, it was Golinski took the penalty. Mm-hmm. Weird penalty. But, yeah, Russell's consistency in this game is way better. And as Brian was kind of alluding to, it looked more like the 2015 vintage MVP-style Russell than the Russell we've seen this year, which has been wildly up and down. And there's been plays where you just can't make a basic throw. And, it was, it was really nice to see that against a pretty good defense. You saw what they did to Denver in Denver the week before. And that Seattle was able to put up that kind of yardage and could have even been crazier. That terrible Tyler Lockett penalty in the end zone where he barely touches the guy. That should be a touchdown. But it, it was nice to see that. And I am just I was so frustrated with Jimmy Graham in that game. I know he kind of made up for it later. That drop on that route down the left side of the field was you – know, that's just a horrible drop. And 
he's just the kind of guy when things go wrong, he lets it keep going and going and going rather than being able to overcome adversity, which this team's kind of known for. He's had a terrible season. I, I want to see something. I want to see some consistency from him. Stop, stop with these terrible drops. But I don't want to see him care. Uh, and maybe it's just me, and that doesn't matter. But the thing that it was frustrating enough to see him drop a pass like that, the team desperately needed. But that's not the first time that's happened. The team needed to catch a third down pass in Green Bay that was critical when the team was just barely struggling to stay above water, and he dropped that. In these cases, he shows no accountability or concern for it. Now, you can argue that that doesn't matter. Maybe that's just a show putting on for fans or other people. But as someone who's played sports, I want to know that my teammate is as pissed at himself for letting down the team as everybody else. And when he just basically like nonchalantly walks off, shrugs it off, that drives me nuts as a teammate. Now, I'm sure none of his teammates would admit that to be true, but man, like hit, hit your chest, show some kind of accountability for blowing it and, and really letting your team down. It, it drives me crazy. Um, I, Anyway, I, 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 I would be interested in hearing you guys talk a little bit more about um, some of the stuff we're seeing on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, switching, switching gears here for a second. Um, I, I've only just started to watch him, but is there reason for us to get excited about Brandon Jackson? I mean, two games in, the guy, if you <laughs> – we over we over index on pro football focus, but it's 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 fun to, to kind of look at how they how they look at some different players. He's the top rated four three pass rush defensive end in the entire NFL for the last two weeks. Um now limited snaps, but you know, is this guy I, I got pretty excited about Demontre Moore last year, who's by the way now available again, um, as Dallas let him go. Is this a guy you think can, you know, and maybe I'll throw it to Nathan first. I mean, is this a guy you think that can be a contributor to the pass rush? I, I to be honest, I haven't watched him a ton. Um, I think if he was going to be, if they thought he had that, you probably don't see him signed away for any. Um, they obviously have targeted, you know, pass rush as uh, a need. Um which isn't to say, I mean, he's a he's a very different player than Freeney, right? So um, it's not to say that he can't bring some versatility um, and and be more of a traditional um, four three end where you know Freeney's more of just your you know just pure pass rush type guy. Um, but I mean, he's definitely uh, he definitely isn't out of place here, right? And so, can he be a contributor? I think definitely. I think um, they're they're so kind of deep at that position that it's impressive he's getting snaps. We'll see how long he can keep getting snaps now with Freeney. Um, but, I mean, he's definitely one to watch. And I think uh, it's always great to be able to just kind of pull those guys out of seemingly nowhere and just be able to kind of like, oh, and here's a, a functional defensive end. It's, it's, uh, it speaks well of, you know, Schneider and Carroll and all those guys. Uh, how about – Yeah. Go ahead. We haven't talked about it enough on this show. Is I know you want to stick to defense for the first second. Doug Baldwin was unbelievable on Sunday, and the, 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 the play he has off the line on the the touchdown on 
Cromarty. That was a ridiculous route. I don't know if you guys have watched closely into that route. And let's get that wide open, even though Russell missed him. Baldwin just keeps doing this, and he, he had that – he was banged up a little bit the last couple of weeks and didn't look to have that explosion. After the bye week, he looked absolutely incredible. But, yeah, Evan, we've been hit on you. We haven't got to you in a while. So, defensive line, I'm sure you want to keep raving about John Schneider. Are you buying Brandon Jackson? Um, I, I kind of go along with with Nathan. I, I think he has the the ability and in the opportunity to contribute. You know, with Clay roll out, and I, I think he'll get some positional rotational snaps. And and I, I think you know you never discount any defensive player that this team picks up because this team has an incredibly talented coaching staff for developing defensive players. So I, I never count out any player like that. Um, but if, if if we're talking defensive side of the ball from the Giants. One player that stood out to me was Bobby Wagner. That guy balled on Sunday. Absolutely balled. He was everywhere. I, I, I was watching the coaches' film of him, and he, he, tackling was great, you know, splitting the gaps. He was, he, he was everywhere. He was insane. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's insane to say he could be in the running for a, a defensive player of the year type, uh, type situation. I think Pro Football Focus had Adam Gray as one of the highest players in the entire league. He might have been number one at one point this year. And yeah, he played well. He's been an underrated contributor on this defense, and he honestly doesn't get enough credit. Yeah, I think that's a good call out, and and <laughs> I think that's part of why I was, I was throwing it to the defense a little bit in general. Is you asked it initially, Jeff? What do we think of that? What that we saw from this defense and. I got to say, look at what the Rams have done to everybody else. And look what the Seahawks did to the Rams. Uh, that's part of why I had that reaction after that game. Everyone was bitching about the offense. And I'm like, guys, like, look at what they just did to a 35.5 point a game team in their home stadium. Jared Goff was like 45 passer rating. They actually sacked him, you know, multiple times. He'd only been sacked twice all season. They held Gurley and made him look uh you know totally inept he's the 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 most you know we had Warren uh sharp on last week i was listening to his podcast and uh Gurley is the number one success rate player in the nfl this year um they bottled him up and they bottled him up every time they played him in, in his career then they go into to new york and yes bad team this is a common thing that people don't get when you have a bad offense the answer isn't, okay, the only thing that's acceptable is that they get zero yards and zero points. When you hold a bad offense to, you know, 10 points and, uh, or nine points or something like that and a couple hundred yards, that's a really good performance. When you hold them to, you know, really one touchdown, which, which is pretty frustrating, honestly, but one touchdown and 177 yards – and just bottle them up. They had no chance of doing anything. You take notice. Um, so, you know, and they got the turnover that turned that game. Like I put it on, on Twitter is like, this game needs a turnover to, to end it. And they found a way, they found a way to get that turnover and, and keyed that. Yes. Paul Richardson made a great catch, but I, I mean, I'm excited this, this weekend, it's going to be a fascinating matchup against Deshaun Watson I think a lot of people think, hey, they've been scoring 30-plus points a game for four weeks, and Watson's throwing all these touchdowns. He's got all these these weapons. Good luck. Good luck coming into Seattle 
facing this secondary that has absolutely no weakness in our stadium, which will be the only the third home, the only the third home game of the season. So I think we are set for a really interesting run where this defense is already number one in uh, scoring allowed. It's crazy. They have so much more headroom for where they can get. I, I think the one thing that's missing is uh, consistently getting to the quarterback. And I found myself pretty pissed this week. Sunny I was, I was watching NFL, NFL puts awesome highlight packs of the games on YouTube. I don't know if you guys have ever seen these. They have like eight minute highlight packs of every game each week. So I, after the games, I always watch them. I watched the Seahawks one this week and it led me to a related video after it was like ESPN does these hits after like instant analysis after the game. And then they play this panel and had Ryan Clark and Jeff Saturday and they're going through the Giants issues and they they get to the Seahawks and they're like, the Seahawks don't have the defense they used to have. They don't have the toughness they used to have. Teams used to be scared of them. And now you can score on them whenever you want. And I'm thinking, how could you possibly watch the last two weeks? And you have Ryan Clark, one of the best defensive analysis in the league, and think that. How is that possible justifiable? I don't know how you can watch the, that game against the Giants and think these guys aren't what they used to be. Does anyone else think it's absurd that anyone can do it like that? You know what I have to say about that, Jeff? A lion doesn't concern himself. <laughs> Just narrative-driven bullshit. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. So, okay, let's shift it towards the Texans game. Brian hit on it a bit. Deshaun Watson's been maybe the most productive rookie quarterback I've seen in a long time. Like, some of the numbers he's put up as a rookie have been totally absurd. Like, as good as Russell was as a rookie, this, this guy's throwing touchdowns at a crazy rate. You got the great corners that Seattle has a matching up against DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller. Will Fuller's got like eight catches this year, and five of them have gone for touchdowns. A totally fascinating matchup. So let's start with you, Evan. First impression, how do you think Seattle matches up against this Texans offense? Yeah, so I, first of all, I want to give the give the props to the rookie, Deshaun Watson. I absolutely think he's bald. You know, obviously there's some other quarterbacks that have gotten more attention, whether it be – you know, Carson Wentz, Russell, all those types of guys. Um, but, but Deshaun Watson has absolutely balled. He has, he, he's poised. He looks, he looks confident, you know, he, he, he's a playmaker. He, he's impressive. He's impressive for a rookie. And I actually think, uh, you know, as great as this defense has been this year, I think this is a player that could actually give us a little bit of fits. He is somebody that kind of mimics Russell Wilson in terms of his playmaking abilities, his ability to scramble, make things out of nothing. I think uh, if we don't put a spy on him, we should. But I, even with a spy on him, I, I think uh, I think Deshaun Watson's going to give us some issues. Um, you know, I, I still think I still think uh, this is one of those games that that the Seahawks will win. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Watson do some damage. Honestly, maybe I, I could see them scoring maybe seventeen points. What about you, Nathan? Nathan? How do you how do you see laughing. this? Uh, <laughs> I just laughing. I love got, that. Got Nathan in there. I love that a team doing damage is seventeen points. That's amazing. I mean, well, it's uh, it's relative to the lead. No, I know what you mean. You're not you're not wrong. Uh, I I I almost think they match up pretty well, though. Um, you know, uh, it'll be interesting. We always talk about whether Sherm is going to uh, follow. Uh, you know, the the top receiver. I'm almost more curious if Quill is going to follow Will Fuller. Um, just because, you know, Fuller is a deep threat and 
uh, Quill is, uh, he really specializes in kind of shutting that down. And so uh, it, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see if they don't just match them up there because he, he fits that, that so well. Um, and, you know, I think this is going to be one where the offense is going to have to, not to bring it back to the offense, but the offense is going to have to help. Um, they're going to have to stay on the field. They're going to have to, you know, win that field position battle um, because the Texans defense is just, you're going to want to give, you know, all the help that you can. Um, and so giving short fields and stuff like that, which we've seen them do, right? We've seen them give away some touchdowns and some short fields um, a lot of weeks now. Uh, and so if they can avoid that, if the offense can just not, you know, with the Rawls fumble or the Brussel pick or the uh, whatever led to the, the safety with the, the Colts. And then I think it was the strip sack against the Packers. Like they've just consistently given teams like 20 yard fields. And so if they can stay out of that, that'll help a lot too. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that I actually think the more fascinating matchup and I'm probably the only person that thinks this is, the Seahawks offense against the Texans defense as I, when I was breaking down the Texans uh, looking, looking ahead, I have to admit, I really thought their defense was, you know, going to be pretty lacking, um, especially after Watt and Merciless and um, uh, I was going to say Dan Morgan, but not our scout. Uh, who's the middle linebacker, Brian. Cushing. Yeah. Cushing. Those three guys are three of their best defensive players, and they're all out. But uh, they've got a couple really interesting interior linemen. I don't know if you guys watched them play the Patriots earlier this year on the road, but um, Covington is one of their interior linemen. DJ Reader is another one. I really like Covington. I think this guy underrated um, playing playing at a really high level all season. I think those two interior players against our interior line is going to be really fascinating. Um, you know, and uh, I think Jadavian Clowney going against Rizzo Diombo, who highest rated offensive lineman on the team last week, just double check that um, from a PFF standpoint. And, um, and then you've got Jonathan Joseph, who's on one side. Um, a lot of interesting pieces there, but you've got a Seahawks offense who everyone still sleeps on. Three of the last four games, this team's put up over 425 yards of offense. Um, you know, uh, they just had a game where they had 222 yards in the first half or 25 yards, 225 yards in the first half and 202 in the second half. Like, they were moving the ball. They figured out third down. They've been an effective third down team. I, I think that's going to be a really interesting part of this, this game. And for whatever reason, I have a feeling that they're going to find their running game in this in this in this matchup and if they do i think that's a big deal honestly and, and i i i don't ever get overconfident but look I, I, this defense they will do their job um sean watson's really good absolutely i agree with everything evan said um i think he's got a really hard time and there's a reason the team's three and three there's a reason that you know you look at his stats, he's thrown a lot of passes, dropped interceptions, one of the most in the league um, in terms of throwing interceptable passes. So I think this is a, I'm waiting for Shaquille Griffin to get his first NFL interception, and, and I think this would be a great week to do it. Yeah, he's, he's getting around on one of those deep passes, and it's going to happen one of these days. That's interesting. Watson's got 
12 touchdown passes the last three starts. That's four average. But the thing is interesting, he hasn't really gone up against a, even a good defense yet. His big games came against Cleveland, who totally stinks. Kansas City, whose defense without Eric Berry has not been good. Tennessee's got a below-average defense. New England has been a horrible defense. And he played in spot play against Houston and like a blow So it'll be interesting to see how Watson matches up with, what is Seattle, the number one ranked defense points against, I think, Seattle and Jacksonville are tied with one. So there's, two, there's kind of two ways I look at it. It's one is I want to see him do it against a great team. On the road in Seattle, it's a lot to ask out of a rookie. And if he can do that, the hype on him is going to be probably stupid and absurd. But Watson was at his best in college. This is obviously a totally different animal when he played Alabama. And he was one of the only players who was able to succeed multiple times against Alabama, which was such a dominant college defense. But, again, it's, there's not much like playing Seattle at CenturyLink for the first time. And you saw Carson Wentz, who's been like an MVP caliber player this year. You saw how much he struggled last year when he came in. I remember even though he had a pretty average game, Pete was raving about Wentz after the game last year. So, Yeah, Wentz is yeah. impressive. I, I just would jump in there, Jeff. I think you bring up a really yeah. good point. The best defense that, that Watson faced was the Bengals in Cincinnati. And they mm-hmm. had 13 points. And – he found a way to win that with a long run, which is, you know, what he can do. So he's, he's absolutely a threat. Uh, I think his, his toughest environment or his, his toughest test was probably, you know, on the road against the, the Patriots. You know, that defense was horrible at the time. And um, that, that environment is as quiet as anyone I've ever sat through when I was at that game last year. Um, not just because the Seahawks were winning at times, just the whole way. It's not, not a huge energy environment. I don't think he's played in a situation like this. And I definitely don't think he's played a defense like this. So um, I don't know. I, I think, I think there's a lot of reasons to feel confident about how the Seahawks will match up against him. Great point about how he played against Alabama. I don't think I've ever been more impressed by a college player and the kind of courageous um, the kind of courage that he showed. He took a lot of really tough hits and he just kept coming. He's, he's a fantastic player. A really big fan. Okay. Sort of transitioning a bit. Uh, that was a good breakdown of Watson and the Texans. There's a, I just want to hit on some quick hitters, and maybe I'll go around and ask you guys some different questions. Um, there's been a couple of interesting pieces of news this week. We'll start with you, Brian. You wrote an article about this from a cap perspective and kind of from a roster standpoint perspective. But Deion Jordan and Deshaun Shedd appear to be closing in on maybe making their debut this year. They're probably two to three weeks away. What should fans totally sort of expect from either player, and how do you see their spot on the roster shaping up? Yeah, we should we should, uh, we should have had Will on today to, to talk about Deion Jordan since he's a he's a duck, right? So, um, yeah, I'm interested, in, Nathan. I'm going to ask you in a second, but I, I've been curious and trying to figure out how Deion Jordan fits because he was drafted as a what I'd call a classic kind of Leo defensive. <laughs> And 6'6", 248 pounds, speed edge rusher, good athlete. He's now around 275. And uh, it was asked of Pete today in his press conference about, you know, thank you for Curtis Cap Crabtree. He asks insightful, unique questions. Um, Curtis is great. And he's like, how are you planning on using him? And Pete went on about it. And he's like, I don't know yet. I got to see him on the field. Um, he's a defensive end, but he's bigger than he used to be. 
and he might be an interior rusher for us. And if that's how Pete's thinking of him, that generally profiles more to like a five tech slash three tech, you know, on pass situations, kind of like Michael Bennett. Um, but Sheldon Richardson also does three tech now. So um, I think that's a really, that's, that's one of the wild cards we've got left in the season is if Deion Jordan does get on the field and he is meaningful, look, you got uh, Freeney that you just added. Um, and now you add another guy that was a top five pick. You know, I am curious how that's going to translate on the field. And, and Nathan, I mean, assume for a second those guys come that, that, that Freeney's here, Jordan joins. Uh, who in the rotation would you want to see take a step back in terms of snaps? I mean, uh, well, we talked about Brandon Jackson, right? And so he's a candidate to get replaced there. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't – either of these guys, um, Jordan or Shed, I don't see any reason to, to rush them or force them. Um, there's there's no clear spot for either of those guys right now. Um, Shed uh, would probably have to displace Quill on the outside, and I don't really want to see that happen. Um, you could you could look at it, but he, Coleman. I mean, I'm not a fan, but he's held up. Um, so there's no there's no need to shake that up. And then it's the same thing on the defensive line. I mean, if you can get him in, if you can get Bennett a little extra rest, um, if you can find your places for Jordan, then great. But uh, if I was a team, I would just slow play this. And if somebody gets hurt and you need an injury fill in, then then those guys are sitting there. But I don't see the need to rush in either of these guys into a, a role, um, you know, keep them fresh injury fill in, maybe do something creative with them, you know, come playoff time and take somebody off guard. Yeah. Evan, one, you, you, you moved to, to Deshaun shed there for a second, Nathan. And one things I, I mean, I've made an assumption, tell me if I'm missing something, but from a contract perspective, they signed shed to a one year deal when he was injured and there was other teams that were interested in him. My assumption is they had good reason to believe he was coming back because why else are you just donating a million bucks to, to Shed and that they do want to get him back on the field? Otherwise, like, it was a really weird signing, right? Like, uh, I'm trying to figure out wh what else would be the reason other than they expect that they were pretty much planning on having him back. And if he is back, you know, he doesn't really play nickel corner anymore. I don't know that he's he's agile enough for that. Is this a situation where maybe Tedrick Thompson finds a, a seat on the practice squad because Shed can also play safety? Um, is that something that could come out of this? I think you've got to consider it. I mean, going back to his extension, um, I, I know, uh, you know, obviously a few other teams were interested. One was the Bills. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, I mean, he had a little bit of a market, even with a torn ACL. So that, that shows you – into the gives you a little bit of insight into what you know his prospects were like around the league i think i think obviously because seattle went through the injury with him um you know from the season before they obviously had better insight into his medicals what his situation looked like all that type of stuff so i think i think, I think they signed him you know with not not like you know hitching their bets on him because obviously there was no significant guarantees or any salary big salaries associated with it or anything like that but um it's a, to me, it's an only upside deal. It was like one year, eight hundred k. It's basically just a just hoping that if he comes back and resumes his previous form, I mean, the dude was playing really well the previous year. People forget that. Like he was, 
he, he had really kind of developed into his own and, and he was taking steps every single game. And, and when he went down, it was a big loss. So obviously with Shaq playing so well right now, I think you have to consider um, once he's healthy, again, don't rush him like Nathan said, but once he's healthy, I think you have to consider taking Tedrick Thompson off. And um, especially with so many safeties, you've got Delano Hill, you know, you've got Bradley McDougald, you know, obviously Cam and Earl, and then obviously Shed, who can also play safety. I, I think you have to consider taking Tedrick off. And one thing I've kind of learned just, just being a football fan is you can never have enough corner depth. Corners, you know, they go down like crazy with those non-contact injuries. So I, uh, you can never have enough corner depth, and, and uh, I, I think Tedrick would absolutely be an option for, uh, you know, demoting to the practice squad. Here's a question for any of you guys. Do you think it's possible they just outright release Jeremy Lane once Shed's back like they did with Kerry Williams a few years ago? I'm looking up his cap hits right now. So yeah, like those two that up for a second. I, mean, I find that one hard to believe. I, I, I think – so Lane had his tweets. You know, it's a little temper tantrum on Twitter. And um, I've been saying this pretty consistently. I think Nathan and I are, are uh, simpatico on this. Like, uh, Shaq Griffin's the better player. Better not take his snaps away for someone like Jeremy Lane. Um, I think that's I think that's over now, right? I think it is. I think Nathan and I are not sympathetic. I think Justin Coleman is way better than than Jeremy Lane. I really like what I've seen from Justin Coleman, um, and I just don't see the need for Lane. I, I think he's he's depth and and an option there, but you know I, I I've turned the page, and and so to me the question is more, you know what else what else do you do with him how do you keep him involved um is he even active on game days and um uh if he becomes a cancer then and maybe that's part of maybe this isn't a temper tantrum maybe it's strategically planned he might be trying to make sure that he gets a chance to go to a different team where he can play yeah so i, I just looked up his cap stuff you save nothing by cutting him so i, I think the not just not just considering that i, I think there would probably absolutely be a market for him. Um, I think some team would take him for something. I mean, you know, you would obviously trade him and try and get something out of it before you cut him. But yeah, you don't save any save any money by cutting him. So, and then you're just, you know, you cut him, you trade him, whatever. You're just one Justin Coleman injury away from now. You have to move Quill. Now you have to maybe rush Shed back, like, or you're starting Nico Thorpe alongside Quill. Uh, you know, Evan, you said it like there's nothing wrong with having cornerback depth. Like it's a hard position to fill. It's a uh, an important one. You need to play a lot of these guys. Um, I get that like uh, people are, you know, down on lane and not for not for any wrong reason, but um, I'm not in any hurry to like show any cornerback, you know, the door unless unless he's just so bad in the locker room, then you have to get rid of him. Um, I don't think freeing up cap space is a, which you, you can't, but even if you could, like, what would you spend it on? What do you get out of that? Um, flipping him for some kind of conditional late round pick. Like uh, you're, you're jeopardizing the season a little bit. If you do that, um, uh, I, I don't think they should make any move there, you know, with either, any of those cornerbacks. Yeah. I, I think, I think the preferred option from my end, and, and at least from what I've heard from a lot of fans is 
we need to obviously have this the Seahawks need to have this discussion come season end when you know we're talking 2018 cap hits which are much bigger he has a 2018 cap hit of 7.25 mil that's a big salary you know for a for a decent sized player so I mean uh you can obviously allocate that money elsewhere. So I, I think I think the appropriate time to probably is the appropriate time to have a real discussion about his future with the team is probably post twenty seventeen. Yep. I was hoping for someone who would have a hot take, but you guys are just way too reasonable. <laughs> I tried to set you up. Everyone on the show is super reasonable. It's one of the best and one of the worst <laughs> parts of the show. Okay, a couple, one or two more questions before we sign off for the night. Malik McDowell, there was a progress little Brian will ask you about this since you you've probably been ahead of the curve on him um therefore there was some thinking that he might not not ever play again it might have been a career-ending injury now Pete's still not ready to confirm that he's going to play this year still seems like a bit of a long shot but seems like he started to work out he's starting to get back in shape it's reasonable to expect that he's going to play again right maybe not this year but in the I think that's the hope. Uh, I think there's renewed hope about that. And I think Pete's been picking his words very carefully about this from the beginning. And, you know, when he's talking about it today, he really focused on how happy he is for Malik McDowell. He didn't talk about any anticipation of, of what's coming next, you know, but he's been running. I think the implication there is, you know, <laughs> uh, your brain's bouncing when you're moving around. Uh, an exercise and so if they feel comfortable enough that he's able to do that that's that's a good first step but i have a feeling that he's a long way off i i'd be surprised if he comes back this year it would be awesome i mean that would be the way i put it in the article is that's like that's the super duper powerball wild card in this whole thing i mean if you could end up with a guy that they compared to calais campbell not saying he's going to play like calais campbell but someone of that kind of talent um, and you can have him be a rotational interior pass rusher and fresh legs at the end of the year. Yeah, I'd be happy about that. <laughs> That'd be a really big addition. Um, more realistically, you know, they're getting him back in shape. They are uh, going to incorporate him in. They probably will. I, I bet would be surprised if they even get him back to where he returns to practice and then never bring him off the official, you know, list i think they get a window of time where they can make that call and and so i think they want to teach him up and i think they're gonna try to take care of him and have him come back strong the following year yeah he has a, by the way. say that again evan it's a three-week window for malik to come off of uh off, uh the nfi list okay well enough on this we'll go around rapid file a quick answer one player you're really looking forward to watch this weekend could be Seahawks or Texans. Start with you, Nathan. Uh, I'm going I'm to steal two. I'm going to write the rules. Uh, Freeney and Watson. Both of those guys I'm really excited to see. All right, Evan. Our new favorite second rounder at the right guard position – or left guard position because he's still playing left guard. I, uh, I'm excited to see Posick uh, – I'm excited to see another week from him. He, he, you know, he played well against the Giants. I'm excited to see him play against the Texans. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna go with Thomas Rawls. Um, I, I feel like for two straight weeks he has been on the cusp of breaking through um, on some of his runs, and 
<laughs> so delayed when he fumbled that ball. Finally, it got into the open. Um, you know, he was out in front of his skis on the the screen pass. Didn't let his block set up. That could have been a much bigger play. But I, I see something there, and um, I, I'm hopeful that we're going to see one of those 30 yard runs from Rawls, and and I think it, it might happen this week. Right. And I'm going to end off with with a kind of a wild card answer. Brando Giacomini. He's starting a right tackle for the Texans. He was one of my favorite players to watch just because of how erratic he was. But he's had a terrible season this year in Houston, and the Seahawks are going to be throwing a ton of different rushers at him. So I'm excited to see how he holds up, and I think there's a guy the Seahawks can exploit from a number of different standpoints. So I'm kind of excited to see how he fares, and I guess we're going to see Dwayne Brown, which I'm not too excited about. But <laughs> And don't forget so, J.D. McKissick. There's always J.D. McKissick, man. I, I'm yeah. I want to see more McKissick. That's what I was pumping earlier. Yeah. There you go. I got a parting hot take for you guys if you want it. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> Jimmy Graham's going to catch for 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns this year. I think he's going to this game. What? No, no, no. No. <laughs> Over the year. So he's got 232 yards right now. If you take the, the pace he's been on the last four games – He's going to catch for 600 yards and six touchdowns. So that put him at 800 and some odd change and eight touchdowns. So he only has to outperform where he's been doing the, the last four weeks by a little bit. And he can get out to a thousand yards pretty reasonably. And if you look at some of the passes he's dropped, it's right there for him. So we're always down on Jimmy Graham. But the way he's been playing the last four weeks, if he can keep it up and if he can just push it out just a little bit, a thousand yards is right there for him. Nathan's got to represent the Jimmy Graham truthers on Twitter. They've got to have a voice on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they don't have any voice on this podcast normally. But I'm just saying, <laughs> just looking at what he's doing, he's on pace for 800 yards and eight touchdowns. He wants to do a little bit better than that, 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns. No, you're, you're 100% correct. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll answer your hot take with a hot take. I, I, I don't think that that's success for Jimmy Graham. What I want to see from Jimmy Graham is at a moment where the team needs him to come through against tough competition in a tough moment to be a championship level team that he makes the play. And what I've noticed time and again, even last year when he had a great year statistically against Philadelphia, I remember key third down, he dropped. I, I mean, like this guy has got to rise to the occasion. And what I've seen throughout his career is that even when he was on the Saints, when he was challenged physically against a you know dominant opponent, he shrunk. And I want to see evidence that he's going to be part of this team's mentality of these are grinders. These are grit players. And when the money's down, these guys play their best. I want to see that from, from Graham. So um, I think you're right, Nathan. I, don't, I think that he's totally capable of going on a statistical run. That's not enough for me. I want him to show me that he can be part of a championship team. So let's see both those things happen. Then we can, uh, we can both be happy. I'm for it. So <laughs> excited to see it happen. Do we need an F word, like, like an, a Russell Wilson F word from Jimmy Graham, like when he drops a pass or catches? They're never losing again. He already dropped the F bomb. They're never, they're three and oh, they're never, they're going to go. That's uh, true. 14 and that's, that's a good, I forgot about that. I stole that from, from Cameron on Twitter. A very good follow. Go find him, follow him. 
Awesome. Now, awesome right, Russell Wilson's F-bomb stats. Wait, say that again? I cut, cut you uh, off. He, he's, uh, no, it's fine. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, it's been a great week. Uh, Jeff, Evan, uh, Nathan, thanks to Joel Corey for coming on. CJ, sorry your power went off and, uh, you know, home. We'll uh, hopefully have you back on. Um, thank you to all the sponsors as normal. We got Pagliacci Pizza, Hawk Blogger Code. You can get $5 off any whole whole pie order. Um, and always thanks to Steam Donkey Brewery and uh, Altitude Homes. So with that, um, guys, huge game. Like, let's let's keep the, the momentum going. Um, I think that there's evidence that we could be talking in a few weeks about a – one loss Eagles team coming in to play a two loss Seahawks team for home field advantage in the NFC. I'll leave you with that. Want more great Seahawks talk? Of course you do. Check out the pedestrian podcast. It's the official podcast of the UK Seahawkers hosted by Stuart court, Adam Nathan and Ross bell. It's fun. It's British. You get accents, you get Seahawks, you get football. It's definitely worth it. They're at pedestrianpodcast.podbean.com or you can find them on iTunes. Check them out.